Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning to you. Good to be here with you. Uh, my name is John Warnock. I'm one of the pastors on staff uh, here at Dogwood. We are in the middle of our series uh, called Transformed. And you may wonder why in the world do I have a balloon up here? So let's um, go ahead and, and not make you wonder too much longer. I'm not a magician or anything like that. But I do have someone who's going to come up here and help me. Carmen, I think you're somewhere over this way, right? So Carmen, if you'll come on up. Um, Carmen, as you're coming up, let me explain what, uh, what this balloon, uh, what you're going to do. We're going to play a little game uh, between Carmen and someone else. So you'll find out who that is in just a second. And so the object of this game, Carmen, if you'll come right over here, the object of this game is simply to take this balloon. You're no longer allowed to hold it once you grab it, but you have to just kind of hit it in the air like this and don't allow it to touch the ground. Keep doing this number right here, okay? All right, so Carmen, you got it? So you can't hold it, but I'm going to give it to you, and you've got to keep it from hitting the ground. So, looks like fun, right? Yeah? You're going, no, not really. So, but it is kind of fun. Um, what if I told you that Carmen, to win this game, you've got to do it for the next three hours. Yeah, she's going to pop it, right? She's going to go, no, nah, I don't want to do that anymore. Let's, let's see who she's going to compete against and see what they have. I've asked Chad to also help me out. Chad's going to come up here. He's already got his balloon. All right, so Chad, come out here into the light so the folks can see you. All right, now, let me ask you all a question. Who's going to win this? Now, for those of y'all that know Carmen, you're going, Carmen's going to win this. She's going to figure out a way to do it, right? But in all honesty, which one is going to have an easier time winning this competition? Would it, be, would it be Chad with the balloon that's there up in the air? Now, here's the point of all of this. I have a huge fear, and, and Keith and I have talked about it, and he has this, this, same, this same fear. We as a staff have the same fear. We are a little bit afraid that as we communicate this message of transformed, that we're going to act like this kind of person with this balloon. Because what if this balloon represented all of the good choices that we can make and that, and that might be making after we hear the message today about being transformed? Oh, you almost dropped it. Don't drop it yet. All right. What if it represented reading your Bible? What if it represented sharing Christ? What if it represented doing all of the good things that good Christians are supposed to do? And we went, okay, I'm going to do that all on my own power, right? That's what this balloon over here represents. This balloon and Chad represents, I'm going to actually at least hold the string. You know, make it look like you're Jesus doing it. is my string. Yeah, Jesus is your string. All right, let's make it look like you're working. This balloon over here represents all of those same things. It's the reading your Bible, it's the giving, it's the doing all the good things that Christians are supposed to do. But notice, is Chad really having to do anything? No. What's keeping that balloon up in the air? It, it's helium, right? Now here's where my illustration gets bad because God is way cooler than helium. But just go with me for a second. Helium is keeping this balloon up there such that Chad doesn't really have to do anything. He could tie it to his belt loop and go around and do all kinds of other things, and God is keeping the balloon afloat, doing all of those things. And so as we go through the message today, and as we're talking about the choices that we can make, and more than just today, as we go through this whole series of looking at being transformed, please don't misunderstand us and think it is just about making decisions. And saying, okay, I'm going to do this to make my life better. Because if you do, you'll get tired out. It's really kind of fun for the first five minutes. But she's done already. She's tired of it. Okay, I'll take it from you. I'll, I'll, I'll relieve you from doing that. Thank you so much for doing that. Give them a big welcome or a big applause. Take it over there. That'd be great. I'll take this one. All right. So does that make sense? Do you all know what we're talking about with that? Let's, let's don't, don't think that it's just all in our own power. Well, we are in a, our, our fall spiritual growth campaign called Transformed. And let me give you a very quick 
recap of where we've been so far. In week one, we looked at, Pastor Keith taught us about um, God transforming our spiritual lives. In other words, making sure that you and I are followers of Jesus because that's where it starts. It's really also where it ends. It's, it's all about Jesus. But in week two, he talked to us about God transforming our physical health and how our, how our bodies are important and about how we worship God with our bodies. And today, we do look at another element of God transforming us, and it's God transforming our minds. Our theme verse all throughout this series is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Some of you may have memorized it in various translations, but let me read it for you from the New Living Translation. Here's how it says it. It says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. We often pray and ask God to change our circumstances. We say things and pray things like, Lord, help me to have this great job. Help me to have this great attitude. Help me to be this kind of person. Help me to be this kind of dad. Protect me from this kind of evil that's out there in the world. Those are the kinds of prayers that we pray. We even develop some of those prayers into somewhat doing spiritual gymnastics where we perform. God, help me to do my quiet time. Help me to get to do this or do that. Our staff is currently reading a book by J.D. Greer called Gospel. I highly recommend that you read that book. An incredible book. But listen to what he writes. He says, religion pours it on. It gives you a lot of stuff to do. Bible studies to go to. New habits to add to your lives. Things to say and not to say. And that's what some have called mechanical change. That's the hitting the balloon on your own power, trying to keep it afloat. But real spiritual growth goes along with more like a a tree producing fruit. You see, the spiritual fruit should spring up naturally just as a tree produces fruit because it's being changed from the inside. And this is how the gospel changes us. Your behavior changes because you change. The problem with mechanical change, the problem with trying to keep that balloon afloat on your own, the problem with trying to walk the Christian life on your own is that you will get worn out. We don't have the power on our own. Because we start to follow those things out of obligation and out of ritual. And I promise you that if you start to do those things on your own, you say, you know what, I'm going to read my Bible every day. When you get to Leviticus, you will get tired. Yeah? Here's the deal. True transformation in all of the areas of our lives starts and ends with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit living inside of you, making you a new creation. So when it comes to our prayers, asking God to change our circumstances, I think maybe God might be more interested in changing us. Changing the way that you think. We live in a fallen world where all kinds of bad things happen. We live in a fallen world where all kinds of people make all kinds of horrible choices that impact the lives of other people. But the good news is this. There is a God out there whose name is Jesus and He wants to transform you. He wants to transform you into His image so that you will reflect back to, who, back to Him who He is. You're reflecting back. Now, mirror doesn't have to work at reflecting. It's just what it does. As a follower of Christ, you are to reflect back to God who He is. That may sound huge. It's, again, it is impossible on our own. 
But with Christ, we can do it. And with Him in us, transforming our spiritual lives, our physical lives, and today, our minds, we can reflect Christ back to God. So today, we're going to look at why do we need to transform our minds? Why do we need to manage our minds? And then we're going to look at three simple choices that you need to make on a daily basis. But remember, these choices as we talk about them today, I'm not talking about you doing it on your own, in your own power, hitting the balloon up in the air. Before we jump in, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for this morning. Thank You for the opportunity to come and sing praises to You. Thank You for the opportunity to sing of Your goodness and Your love. I pray for all of us that are going through this series that we won't simply look at this series as a way to make our lives better. That we won't fall into the trap of doing these things to make You love us more. Instead, that we'll simply allow You to change who we are through the power of the Gospel. God, as we look at You transforming our minds, help us to have open minds to Your Word, Your truth, and then help us to align ourselves with You. Help us to be doers of what we hear and not just hearers. And it is in Your Son's name we pray. Amen. So why why do we need to manage our minds? Three quick reasons of why we need to manage our minds. First reason is this, because my thoughts control my life. My thoughts control my life. Now here's what I mean by this, alright? If you don't think it, you don't do it. If you don't think it, you don't do it. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. The Bible tells us here that there is power in the mind, in your thoughts. Your thoughts have the tremendous ability to shape your life for good or for bad. Now, there's a, little, there's a new agey kind of thought out there in America today that says, okay, if you visualize yourself having a Ferrari, put a picture of it on your office cubicle thing, and one day you'll get a Ferrari. That's not what I'm talking about here, but there is tremendous power in your mind. You know, when I was in seventh grade, I was not the fine physical specimen that I am today. I'm just kidding. I'm really not even a fine physical specimen today. But I really wasn't. I was a tall, lanky kid. I was fast. That was about all I had. And so I remember going into, into Booth, uh, junior high at the time, so middle school now, going into Booth, and they had these pull-up bars in the back. I could not do pull-ups to save my life. I had tried in middle school, you know, out on the monkey bars. There's other stuff I could do out there, but I could not do a pull-up. And we were getting graded on how to do pull-ups. And the whole class is standing there. And it was like, all right, you go do a pull-up. And those kids would do it. And then it was, all right, Warnick, you go do your pull-up. And I remember just being just totally afraid because I knew I couldn't do it. And so I went there and I hung on that bar for what felt like four hours. I'm sure it was only like 10 seconds. But I hung there trying. Kids laughing like, ha, ha, he can't do it. And I'm still a little bit scarred from all of that. <laughs> Thankfully, the coach finally said, you know what, why don't you just go ahead and get down. We'll, we'll talk to you later. And so after class, he pulled me aside. He says, he always called me Warnick. He goes, Warnick, I'm going to teach you how to do a pull-up. And I was like, yeah, whatever. I can't do a pull-up. He goes, no, no, no. You're going to say it right now. You can do a pull-up. And I went, fine. You can do a pull-up. And he went, no. What I meant for you to say is, I can do a pull-up. So I was like, all right, I can do a pull-up. But I was like, I really can't. He goes, no, no, no. I'm going to teach you. We're going to do this together. And so over the next couple of days, it really didn't take long. Some of it was just him convincing me that I could learn to do it. 
And then we go back out to the pull-up bar, and it's just me and the other couple of goofballs that couldn't do pull-ups this time. And so we go out there, and he says, all right, Warnick, you're first. And so I was like, all right. Get up there, and I'm, and I'm there. And he literally just goes behind my feet with two fingers and starts gently pushing up on my legs as I start to learn to do a pull-up. Part of it was, and I did. I didn't whip out like 27 of them in a minute like Tony Horton does. But, but I was able to do a couple because somebody convinced me that I could and then taught me how to do it. Right? There's tremendous, tremendous power in your mind. Not only we need to manage our mind that way, we need to manage our mind because it's the battleground for sin. We need to learn to manage our mind because it is the battleground for sin. Your mind is the place where you will win or lose the battle of temptation. All temptation really happens in our minds. We often think about temptation as being this pit out there in the woods somewhere that's been covered up with leaves and sticks that we're just going to happen to fall into and go, oops, here I am, I've totally messed up my life. But temptation really is in the mind. When we talk about sins of pride or bitterness or lust or hatred or anger or fear or envy or worry, those things are in your mind and they're at the root of our actions. If you can learn to manage your mind, you've learned how to manage your life, and you've learned how to manage to beat temptation. Romans chapter 7, verse 23 says, I love to do God's will so far as my new nature is concerned, but there's something else deep within me that is at war with my mind and wins the fight and makes me a slave to the sin within me. In my mind, I want to be God's servant, but instead I find myself still enslaved to sin. This passage is teaching us that there is a battle going on inside of you. There's temptation going on. And this battle goes on all of the time, whether you're aware of it or not. It's one of the reasons why we get mentally exhausted. Listen, we're going to push pause on this one for a second because we're going to come back in just a little bit. I want to give you a strategy for overcoming temptation. But if you can learn to manage your mind, you'll have the tools necessary to overcome temptation. We'll get to that in just a moment. But we also need to manage our minds because it is one of the keys to life to the fullest. John chapter 10, 10. John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus is speaking and He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You see, when Jesus has influence or control of us, our minds are focused on Him. And therefore, then, we will have life to the fullest. Now, does this mean that life is going to be free from trouble? Absolutely not. It means within a week's time, your car transmission is going to go out. It also means that your sprinkler system is going to erupt into like four or five different leaks. And you're going to have to get those fixed all within the same week. And there's a whole lot of other worse things that could happen. But a life focused on Christ will let you live a life where you are at peace no matter the circumstance. Many of you guys know or knew my um, father-in-law, uh, Ralph Scalise. Ralph's one of my heroes. Uh, Ralph became a follower of Christ. I've shared with you some of this story before, but Ralph, Ralph became a follower of Christ later in life. And you could see, you could see his life being transformed. It was an amazing, amazing thing. And I remember talking with him as he was dying of cancer, knowing that he was in pain, knowing that really he was sad because he was going to be leaving his family. But he talked about the incredible peace and happiness that he was also experiencing at the same time. 
He was a living example of Romans chapter 8, verse 6, which says, If your sinful nature controls your mind, there's death. But if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there is life and peace. Regardless of the circumstances, if the Holy Spirit controls who you are, there is life and peace. So we've looked at three reasons why it's important to manage your mind. I want us to jump into three daily choices that we need to make so that we'll have a healthy mind and we will al- align ourselves with God the Holy Spirit so that He can work in us, keeping us afloat. These are three simple yet profound choices that you and I need to make on a daily basis. Here's the deal. Only you can control your thoughts. Only you can make these choices. Now again, you're making these choices in God's power, but only you can decide to make them. You see, Satan can't control your thoughts. He can, he can suggest, He can influence, but He can't control them. God won't control your thoughts. He could, but He's not going to. But God will help you change your thoughts. God, God would help you because you're going to learn to say, I'm going to flip the channel. I'm going to change my environment. I'm going I'm to do something different. You know, one of my favorite places to go and study and prepare for a sermon is the Peachtree City Library. You know, they have these rooms in there where you can go and sit and nobody can bother you and you can, you can be in there for about two hours and it's, it's a great, good private place to, to go and, and write and study or read or whatever it is that you might need to be working on. Well, a week and a half ago I was there. I used up my allotted time in the morning. I went and had lunch and I came back and uh, I said I want to go back to the library. But instead of going to those rooms because I couldn't get in there anymore, I went to the more public section of the library where they had all the tables sitting out there. And so I went to a corner table that was facing kind of that way across the library. And I used to, they had these big like boxes that would kind of make it so you couldn't see what was going around you. I loved those things. Those things aren't there anymore. If they are, I don't know where they are. They moved them. And I really wish they would have been there because when I sat down and opened up my laptop to stop writing, just over the top of my monitor screen, there's a dude that I can see sitting in, I don't know if it was a sofa now or, or, or a couch, at the far end of the library, but it was like straight in line of where I was. And he was picking his nose. And so I'm, I'm sitting there watching it for a second, and as an ex-student pastor, I'm a little fascinated. I'm going, all right, this is going to be good material. And so I'm watching. What's happening? And so then, the guy, I mean, he's digging for a while, okay? It's not like a second. I, I watch him pull his finger out of his nose, and he starts looking at it. And I'm going, what is he going to do? Is he going to flick it on the window? Is he going to ripe it on the seat? He ate it. Yes, all right, so, so you, like me, you're there and you're going, I'm so distracted right now. I don't know if I need to go get the guy tissue. Do I need to go get him a neti pot? Do I need to go do something? Right? And then, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, he starts picking his nose again. And I'm going... Lord in heaven, please, I'm supposed to be writing a sermon and all I can see is this dude going, just digging around. What did I have to do? I had to move. I had to change the channel of my mind because as hard as I was trying to look down at my monitor on my, my laptop, I'm looking up at this dude just digging. Oh my gosh, it was awful. I'm thankful you didn't see it because it was bad. But the point of all of that is, For me to stop thinking about that, I had to change my environment. I had to look somewhere else. I had to put my earphones in and start listening to the music that I listen to when I'm writing and studying. 
You can change what you're thinking about. Kind of like this. Let me ask you to close your eyes for just a second. And we're not praying yet. We're not done. But just close your eyes for a second. And I want you to think about something for a moment, okay? I want you to think about a nice, hot, fresh, Krispy Kreme donut. Mm-hmm. It's good. You've been there before. You've seen the red sign on the side of the wall there that says, hot and fresh now. And you've been there before, like me, when you're looking at those beautiful donuts coming down the conveyor belt. And you've imagined, like me, if only I could lay on that conveyor belt and let that sugary goodness just drop into my mouth. Yeah? So you're thinking about this nice, hot donut. Now, when I count to three, your eyes are still closed. When you count to three, and no, we don't have people going up and down the aisles with donuts, right? That's not, that's not today. But I want, you to, I want you to stop thinking about the donut, okay? All right, so on the count of three, ready? One, two, three. Don't think about that donut and the hot, fresh sign that's on. And don't think about the big glass of milk that's sitting there with it and the, or the cup of coffee, whichever it is that you like. Don't think about that donut that when you bite into it, it's so good it just kind of melts in your mouth. All right, now open your eyes for a second. How many of you were able to quit thinking about the donut? I see a couple of hands. If you were able to do that, my guess is, is you thought about something else. You went back to thinking about the nose picker. You said, that would get it out of my mind, right? Okay. You can change the channel of your mind. So, let's look at these choices that will help you to align with God's Spirit to work in your life. Our first choice is this. I must feed my mind with truth. I must feed my mind with truth. We all know the importance of nutrition in our physical lives, right? Whether we follow it or not, we know it. Good food, good calories cause you to be better, stronger, healthier, to have more energy. Bad food, junk food, Krispy Kreme donuts, they harm your body over a period of time, and they can make you tired and even sick. The same is true in your thought life. We must feed our minds, not with junk, not with poison, but with truth. You've got to be careful, church, with what you watch. You've got to be careful, church, with what you read. And parents, please, 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 be very careful about handing your kids technology that lets them get online and go to places that you don't know even exist. Because in like two clicks, you can be at the wrong spot where you don't really want to be, and they can get there very easily. So a little commercial plug here. Next Sunday afternoon, right after the services, the student ministry is hosting, hosting a digital parenting seminar. There's information in your bulletins about that. You can sign up for it. I'd encourage you to sign up. But as adults, let me just tell you, be very, very, very careful what you're allowing into your minds and into your lives. But we've got to feed on truth. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4 says, People need more than bread for their life. They must feed on every word of God. This is the kind of truth that you need. You need Scripture intake. This is the truth. You need to learn to study God's Word, to read God's Word on a daily basis, not just once a week coming into a service like this going, okay, I'm going to get all the food here, all the spiritual food here, and it's going to be fine for the rest of it because you'll miss out on God's goodness and grace throughout the rest of the week when we're not immersing ourselves into Scripture on a daily basis. Psalm chapter 119, verse 97 says, Lord, how I love Your Word. I think about it all day long. It's like the healthiest way to eat. We don't eat all 2,000 of our calories or shouldn't eat them in the morning, right? We spread it out. Just the same with reading God's Word. Two Saturdays ago, we celebrated my, my birthday. My parents invited us over 
uh, to their house for dinner, and it was awesome. We had a great time hanging out with them. And my mom made one of my favorite meals that she makes, chicken and dumplings. Anybody else like chicken and dumplings? I mean, they are phenomenal. They're just good. And so when it was time to eat, I had probably three or four platefuls of chicken and dumplings. All right, now those of you guys who know chicken and dumplings, you know you're full after that. Then my mom brings out her famous homemade red velvet cake that she hasn't made probably in maybe three or four years. All right, Because it takes her a long time to make it, and some of the stuff that had been going on with my dad, she just hadn't made it for a while. And so after eating this plate full of chicken and dumplings, I was like, I'm not going to let my kids eat this whole cake without me eating some of it. And so I got a big piece, and I ate it, and it was awesome, and I savored it, and it was good. And then I looked down at my watch and went, holy cow, it's time for us to go to our life group. So we got up from the table there, we excused ourselves, said our goodbyes, and went to our life group, where my wife had also made a cake. Now, she also made one of my favorite cakes. It's the uh, strawberry cake out of a box, because anybody else like the fake artificial strawberry taste? Like Captain Crunchberries, man, it's good, right? Well, she had made this cake, and so we go to our life group, and they're like singing happy birthday and put the little candles in there, and they start cutting them, and they're like, well, John, don't you want some? I was like, "Uh uh-uh, no. I don't want any of that because I gorged myself. I missed out. Because I gorged myself, I missed out on a cake that my, that my bride made. If we think that just getting it on Sunday morning is going to do it for us, you're going to miss out on God's power. You're going to miss out on the, the strawberry cake later on. Now, not only do we need to feed our minds with truth, but we have to free our minds from destructive thoughts. We have to free our minds from destructive thoughts. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 says, Those who are dominated by their sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. This verse teaches us that if we allow the Holy Spirit to control us, we will think about things that please God. This means that you've got to get rid of the things in your life that are causing you to be in prison. Remember earlier, we talked about our minds being a very powerful thing. And sometimes the things that we think about ourselves, even if they're not true, we think about it long enough, it becomes true for us. I want to look at another passage of Scripture. Write this down, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3-5. through 5. It says this, But we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight... With are not the weapons of the world, our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish any argument and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Two parts to this verse that I want to highlight, and we really could highlight a whole lot more. The first is this, stronghold. What is a stronghold? A stronghold is a lie that you believe to be true. It could be a lie that says something like this, there's really not a God. It could be a lie that says something, well, maybe if there is a God, He doesn't really love me or care about me. Or it could be that I really know more than what God knows of how to live a full and meaningful life. Or it could be that making money is going to make me the happiest thing in the world. Or it could be that you blew up at your kids this week and you're now, you, you now believe that you're a horrible dad. And Paul says that we must demolish those strongholds. How? By taking those thoughts captive and making them obedient to Christ. We take those thoughts captive. We capture the thought, we grab it, we say, God, I'm going to give it to you. Please, you deal with that thought. 
So what's the trick to taking our thoughts captive? Well, this is understanding how temptation works. If you can understand how temptation works, you can take your thoughts captive and you can win. If you're a football coach and you want your team to win the following weekend, what do you do? You study game film of the team that you're going to be playing, right? You learn their tendencies. You learn who their players are that are really good and what they typically do when certain situations happen. Why do you do that? Because you want to know your enemy or your opponent, at least in that one. Maybe they're really not enemies. Your opponent. You want to know them very well. Well, listen, temptation always follows the same pattern. Always. Always the same pattern. Now, it might look a little bit different, but the pattern is always like this. James chapter 1, verses 14 through 15 gives us the pattern. It says, Temptation comes from the lure of our own evil desires. These evil desires lead to evil actions, and then the evil actions lead to death. Desire. Desire is phase one of the attack. If you don't have a desire for something, it won't be a temptation for you. So you start by saying, God, help me to change my desires. Right? Doubt. Doubt is phase two of the attack. You doubt that God loves you. You doubt that God knows best. It plays out something like this. Did God really say that in the Bible? Did He really say that I shouldn't do that? Did He really say that that was unhealthy? Did He really say that the things that I think about are, are, I get credited with that as basically a sin? Did He really say that? Did He really say that I'm to, to forgive the person that wrongs me instead of getting revenge? Did God really say that? Because if you go back and look at the very first temptation with Adam and Eve, they're in a perfect environment. And Satan comes to them and says, did God really say that you can't eat of this fruit? Satan was trying to get them to doubt God's Word. And we go through that similar process. It's desire, and then we start to doubt. But then that leads to part three, or phase three, which is deception. Let's go back to the story of Adam and Eve. They believed a lie. Ah, Satan said to them, you won't really die if you eat of this fruit. You'll just become like God. They were deceived. Phase four of temptation is disobedience and defeat. We move from desire to actually doing something in our actions. What started out with our mind comes out physically. I've heard people say, what's what's wrong with a harmless fantasy? What's wrong with thinking about stuff? And I want to say, are you kidding me? What you think about, what you flirt with, will eventually come out in your life. So the best time to tackle temptation is to deal with it before it begins. Psalm chapter 119, verse 112 says, I have made up my mind to obey your laws forever, no matter what. In other words, you make a choice to obey God's laws and say, you know what, I'm going to recognize temptation when it happens. I'm going to take those thoughts captive and I'm going to turn them over to God. And I'm really going to have to rely on the Holy Spirit to help me on this. Because again, over here to the balloon thing, if you try to do this on your own, it's not going to happen. It's not going to work. We can't do it on our own. So we've looked at two choices. Feeding our minds with truth and freeing our minds from destructive thoughts and beating temptation. But there's a third choice that you and I need to make. And it's this. That we need to focus our minds on the right things. We've got to focus our minds on the right things. Now listen, there's three things very quickly that we need to focus our minds on as followers of Christ. And the first is this. Think about Jesus. Think about and spend time 
with Jesus. You and I become like the people that we hang out with. You and I become like the people that we think about. You will become like more like Christ the more you think about Him and the more time you spend with Him in Scripture. But that's not the only thing we're to think about. We're also to think about other people. Think about others. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 says, Don't just think about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and in what they are doing. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us think about each other and help each other to show love and do good deeds. You see, why is this important? Because when you think about other people, you are actually behaving as God does. Because you see, God thinks about other people all the time. God loves people so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that we could be forgiven and be reconnected to God. He's thinking about us. And when we think about others, we're acting with the heart of God. But there's a third thing that we're to think about when we're focusing our mind on the right things. It's that we are to think about eternity. One of the biggest problems we have as a society is that we value short-term thinking. Now, here's what I mean there. We struggle with thinking long-term because we want what's fun right now. We want what's easy right now. We want what's going to pay the most dividends, at least that we think, right now. I've told you before that I enjoy coaching my son's Little League team. And I enjoy it for a number of different reasons, but I enjoy helping them get a little bit better. And one of the things that I've learned with a lot of the nine-year-olds out there is that you can, you can show them the proper way to hold a ball or to throw a ball or the proper swing. And some of them will go, okay, I got it. Others of them will try it and they'll go, coach, that's too hard. I can't do that. I just want, and they'll say, I just want to go back to doing it the way I was doing it. And what I have, I have a hard time getting them to see is that, okay, sure, you can throw the way you're throwing right now, but when you get older and you get more muscle on you and you can actually like zing that ball in there as a pitcher and you have a bad throwing motion, you will throw your elbow out and you'll never play this game again. But they go, no, no, it's easier. I want to do it the easy way that, that they do it. Listen, I don't think most of us are much different than the nine-year-olds. We want easy stuff. We want, to, we want to live a life that's easy. And so we've got to learn to think about eternity. Because when we think about eternity, it changes our perspective. Why? Because when we think about our future home in heaven, eternity, for those of you that are followers of Christ, that are going to get to spend an eternity in a real place called heaven that is going to be amazing, you realize that the stuff that we deal with right now on earth is just temporary. But also, as followers of Christ, when you think about eternity and you think about the people that you know and love in your life that do not know Christ, and you think about them and you, and you start to go, man, if they die without Christ, they don't get to go to this really cool place called heaven. As a matter of fact, they get separated from God. And you know what? When we think about eternity that way, doesn't that change the way you look at people? I mean, it should. I'm not telling that to make you feel guilty. I'm just saying for real, when you really think about that and go, this person that I love, if they die without Christ, they're lost forever. That should change the way that we think and act. Let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. As a reminder, as, you're, as we're getting ready to pray, we need to feed our minds on Scripture, the truth of God, on a daily basis. We need to free our minds from destructive thoughts. And we need to think about the right things. 
And so if you're a follower of Christ already, I'm going to ask that you would pray and ask God's Spirit to fill you much like the helium balloon. That that He would fill you and give you the power and ability to think those things and for your mind to be transformed. But I also know that in a group this size, there are some that, that don't know who Jesus is. There are some that are going, okay, John, I hear you talking about this, Jesus. I, I want to know that. For some of you, your heart's beating a little bit fast. And you're going, I want to know who this Jesus is. Well, if that's you, it's, it's really very simple. It's you choose to become a follower of Christ. You choose to become a follower of Jesus. What does that mean? It means that you give complete and total control of who you are over to Him. In other words, you say, Jesus, I need you to be my Lord. And you ask Him to forgive you for you choosing to go your own way and not His. That's what's called that's sin. And you say, God, forgive me. I, I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose again, beating death so that I could know you. And so maybe this morning you need to pray this prayer. And again, it's not a magic prayer. It's not anything special about these words, but this prayer might convey what's going on inside of your heart. Lord Jesus, to the best that I understand it, I ask you to come into my life and be my leader and my forgiver. God, thanks for loving me. Thanks for making it possible for me to know you. Father God, thanks so much for loving us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.